Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ball knocked down by Mount, picked up by Shackelford, into Alcindor, two more for the Bruins. Cheryl Miller, beautiful 15-foot jumper. Hatcher wants to go baseline, sends it inside to Miller. Now Miller tries to put a little reverse in, but what a shot by Reggie Miller. Underneath, Harold driving, reverse lay in, that's it. 15 points, he's reached the 2,000 plateau. Bibby, three points, he's six of them Saturday. He continues to sizzle. Betty House has it, there it is, in time. Here's Hannah Jump, three-point specialist. And there is Sabrina Ionescu with the rebound. She has just become the first player in Division I history with 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. A historic mark set by Sabrina Ionescu. Starts fading away. He got it! Welcome back into Believe in Pac-12 Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network, along with the Oregon State phenomenal former point guard, Ahmad Starks. I'm Sun Devil alum, Michael Caratanudo. And man, Ahmad, another, uh, well, another crazy week in the sporting world, the NBA world going by. They're trying to get into the bubble and everything like that, and hopefully to finish a season, gain a championship. College basketball, we were talking about before we started the recruiting, obviously. A lot of good recruits have signed throughout the conference. I know being a homer and keeping up with my Sun Devils, they've gotten a lot. So, again, Bobby Hurley trying to get it back to the Ned Wolk days. But, uh, but yeah, it's good, to, it's good to see you again. How's the training going? It's been going well. Um, I'm happy to be back on talking about these, uh, the great topics at the Pac-12. And uh, training has been going great. I've uh, just had actually had a – Great group of pros in come in this week, and I'm looking forward to getting them ready for their seasons coming up. But I also like the younger guys, my high school and, you know, elementary school guys, just getting them getting them prepared for hopefully an upcoming season. You know, we don't know how this is going to play out exactly, but just keeping those guys prepared. I like watching the youth uh, grow. Well, Ahmad, I obviously know you're in Chicago, but I was going to say it's tough in the winter to have an outdoor season. But – uh out here in Arizona, that might be the solution. Might have to go to the outdoor uh, courts, just like uh, back in the old school days. Man, that would be interesting, but I seriously doubt that'll happen. <laughs> oh no, absolutely, I know. A little bit, little bit different of a game. Yeah, exactly. It's a different, too much at stake. A little bit different game. Um, although the the recovery tactics are much better, you know, than they were back then. But I I doubt they'll go that route. That would be way a little bit way too extreme, but. Well, we're going to get into it. So today, our topic is, Ahmad and I decided, we went through and tried to figure out the top 12 coaches. Yes, I know, you can call me cheesy, whatever, but 12 for the Pac-12 coaches of all time in the conference. And yeah, I know a lot of you Pac-12 fans are sitting out there, and you could probably name two or three off the top of your head, as Ahmad and I both did too. But 
when you got to find the other nine, it's a little bit, great competition, a little bit of digging and very interesting because again, a lot of coaches, mostly all former players, um, some not, but a good amount were all former players and uh, a lot of success in this conference, Ahmad. A ton. That's why it's the Conference of Champions. It's just so, so much to go around. So you, you can take this as far back as we're talking, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, just a lot of success over the years. Up until now, you're having some, some more great teams blossom. So it's a, it's a great conference to, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be a part of. So I think your list might differ a teeny bit of mine because, like, a, obviously from our, uh, our father-son or our father-son duos that we talked about in the last episode, I kind of like, I kind of dug a little bit back. But at the same time, it's one of those things where a lot of them are pretty are, are recent-ish, but all of them have the same thing in common outside of being uh, good players. They all coached for a very long time at a very high level. All right. So with that, I will get started with the – my, my 12th, and I'm going to read through it, and then we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll read through it first, get Ahmad's kind of thoughts about what he thinks of my 12th, and then we'll talk about some, uh, some of the accomplishments that we have from these coaches. So at number 12, I went – well, he has probably the coolest name on here, Ahmad, but it's a Sox Walseth, and he coached at Colorado. He was a Colorado Buffalo and he coached there basically from 1948 to, well, it's from 56 to 76, pardon me. At 56 to 76 um, was when he coached there, but he started in 1948 with the freshman team. Now his overall record at Colorado was 260 and 246. So he won 51% of his games, but basically he spent from 1948 to 1983 at Boulder. Um, when he was there, he went to the tournament three times. All three of those times, he went to the Sweet 16. So he came in at number 12 for me to get to a little bit more. Then, actually, I have the Colorado Buffalo's current head coach, who has done a phenomenal job, Tad Boyle, who's 210 and 134. He comes in at number 11. And then former UW head coach, Lorenzo Romar, is at number 10. I like Romar a lot. Yeah, very, very solid coach. Had a lot of solid teams up there. And number nine, call me a homer or not, but people can go look up her wins. Look how many years they've been to the tournament. Look how many Sweet 16s, Elite Eights, battling for conference, uh, regular season conference titles, Pac-12 tournament titles. But I put Charlie Turner Thorne, Sun Devil women's head coach, at number nine. Got her 500th win this past season and has built on that. They were headed back to the tournament before the pandemic, and that's the bummer of that. But she's at number nine. At number eight, I know this will get Ahmad going, but I have Tony Bennett when he was at Washington State because they may have been the most boring team to watch, but that's just because nobody could score against them. So I have Tony Bennett at number eight, and obviously he went on to win a title at Virginia. At number seven, former Oregon Duck head coach Ernie Kent and did a lot of good things up in Eugene for quite a while. And those Ducks teams, again, very, very solid. And Ernie Kent had a heck of a career up there. Number six, the man that puts – and, again, I know I sound like a homer, but if you look at his record, it is insane. Put ASU back on the map men's-wise, took him to tournaments, made him a consistent winner from a team that was just absolutely struggling to even field a basketball team when he got there. 
But uh, Ned Walk is number six for me. And Utah, they're in the Pac-12 now. They expanded. And, but if I have to go back through their all-time great coaches, I go with Rick Majerus. What he did at Utah, absolutely unbelievable. And even before they came in the Pac-12, basketball-wise, I always thought they should have been there. So Rick Majerus, absolutely phenomenal. And number four, I got Mike Montgomery, who dominated at Stanford, did so well there for so long, dominated most of the rivalry games with Cal, then went to Golden State, and then said, you know what, I like the Bay Area, but couldn't get his old job back a mod. So he goes and coaches at the arch-rival Cal and wins there as well, too. So Mike Montgomery, number four on this list. Now we get to my top three. At number three, this man had a 75, almost a 76% winning percentage, seven, uh, 759. But uh, Lute Olson at Arizona, what he did when he started at Iowa and then continued at Arizona, we talked, we touched on a little bit before, Ahmad, but Lute Olson. Absolutely uh, phenomenal. 13 Sweet 16s, five Final Fours, 11 Pac-12 regular season championships, uh, four Pac-12 tournament championships. Uh, the guy, I mean, again, Basketball Hall of Famer in uh, 2002, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, did it all. So he is at number three for me. At number two, Tara Vanderveer of Stanford, 942 and 202 overall at Stanford. 31 of the 33 years she's been there, Ahmad, in the NCAA tournament. Amazing. Yeah, amazing is absolutely right. Uh, and then my number one, I don't think it'd be a surprise to anybody <laughs> because you haven't, don't have to see it, but John Wooden. 10 national championships at UCLA, uh, 14 Sweet 16s, 12 Final Fours, 16 Pac-12, well, back then, was it Pac-8 regular season championships? He even had two NAIA regular season championships he was a 10-time Helms Foundation uh, national champion, and one NAIA attorney appearance. He was a runner-up. But the man, I, I, again, they called him the Wizard of Westwood. He stopped coaching after the 74-75 season. I think it would have been cool, again, on him to get, if he could have made it to 1980. That would have been phenomenal. They probably would have won, who knows, maybe one or two more championships, Ahmad. But the Wizard of Westwood – and an interesting fact I learned about John Wooden is the Pittsburgh Pirates, after he stepped down in 75, actually contacted him, Ahmad, to coach baseball because they had lost for so long. But they figured a man that could win that much in any sport and get players to work together, and they actually reached out to him. Now, how serious they were, I don't know, but I do know they reached out to him. So the Wizard of Westwood takes my number one overall slot because – in his prime, he could have coached in any generation and I think would have made it impossible to, uh, to uh, beat in the pack 8, 10, 12, whatever you want to say. No, that's interesting. I definitely didn't know that. Um, that to, for even to contact him about that, um, it says a lot about whether they were super serious or not, but just to have a phone conversation says a lot about, you know, everything he did as a coach and, uh, you know, all of his compliments, a bunch of winning over there. So you got to got to make him number one. Sorry to you, you ASU people. I like Lou Dawson a lot. Arizona is one of my favorite spots as well. So uh, one of my favorite schools to go against and everything. So Lou was amazing. I can't argue with not just what he did against ASU, but what he did overall in the conference. I mean, he came from Iowa and then he comes to Tucson. And like I said, just the amount of talent 
he was always able to get in there, Ahmad. But like the guards, I mean, like you said, even I mean, granted, it was when Sean Miller was there, but the guards that he always had, and then the mix of you know the forwards that, and even I mean, he had guys that were you know pseudo wings because you look at a guy like, uh, yeah, I mean, I know he's listed as a guard, but I mean, Sean Elliott was kind of that early, like they didn't put anybody as a wing, but. He was that wing guy just running. And then you had a guy like uh, Andre Igudala, who I know obviously this height, like, you know, a, a small forward, but he played, I mean, he could handle the rock. You had a guy like Richard Jefferson running the floor. Mike Bibby, who I obviously, again, like I said, him and, you know, his dad, Henry Bibby. But, I mean, you look at like a Mike Bibby, a Jason Terry, and a Gilbert Arenas. I mean, just these guys that just – Steve Kerr. I mean, even back, like I said, Steve Kerr, Dude didn't miss. Just the guards alone. I mean, he always had good big men. I'm not going to say they weren't, but the guards definitely stole the show. For sure. That's why I was called point guard you for so long. Oh, absolutely. All right. So I know Sox Walseth, like I said, I went way back there for Colorado because, again, that's a lot of uh, accomplishment. But Tad Boyle, you played, you played against Coach Boyle, right? Definitely. I uh, played it for my three years at Oregon State, played him there, and uh, always tough – Tough defensive team. Um, I actually it was it was great because I was I used to be frustrated going to Colorado. I hated it. I dreaded it um, because just just the atmosphere there, along with of course the altitude and everything like that. But it was uh I dreaded. They had good teams, good defensive schemes, and so they made it tough. I fortunately back home against them, I always played really very well. Some of my best games. He recruited well. Um, guys that we hear about now, Spencer Dinwiddie who's doing phenomenal right now. Um, Askia Booker was, became a good player as he went on. He's had a good career professionally. And Andre Robeson also comes to mind. I know he had an injury, but before then, he was a great defensive specialist for OKC and other things like that. Started for a long portion of time along Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So, Tad, he coached some really good guys and developed them over time to become quality pros. So, I guess I should ask you this. Who on my list would you say you're in the most disagreement with? Like I said, Walseth at 12, Boyle at 11, Lorenzo Romar at 10, Charlie Turner Thorne at 9, Tony Bennett at 8, Ernie Kent was at 7, Ned Walk was at 6, Majerus at 5, Montgomery at 4, and then Lute Olson, Tara Vondevere, and John Wood. Who do you think for my list, because then we'll get to yours, but who do you think on my list you might, you might have uh, bumped off there? I might have left off Tony Bennett. All right, all right. It wasn't there for that long, um, for super long, let alone, I mean, they had some decent teams in that, you know, obviously, obviously Clay was there for that stretch and uh, had some decent teams, but Clay was there for like the beginning of that stretch, I believe, like, and then they had a coaching change, if I'm not mistaken. All right, but he was 69 and 33 in his time. No, I mean, no, I know, I get what you're saying. Believe me, I, I understand what you're saying because – he had guys that could score, but the way they played defense was very old school, and the offense was just slowed down. But there's nothing you could do. They would go late in the shot clock, and they had, like you said, though, you got guys like Clay. He had guys that could hit shots, but they always hit them late in the shot clock. No, you're on point with that. And so I guess not to say he doesn't necessarily deserve it, but if I had to pick, it would be him or, by default, Rick Majerus just because they weren't in the pack at the time. But nonetheless, he did some incredible stuff at, at Utah. Don't, don't get me wrong about that at all. Um, I know some people who played under him at St. Louis and loved him. 
Um, so uh, kudos to him, you know, rest in peace to him. Yeah, he just missed the Pac-12 because he was there from 89 to 04. But you look at the tournament appearances, 12 tournament appearances, four sweet 16s. But he was in the tournament 91, 93, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 02, 03. And then, that was, and then he was gone. But then, like you said, in 2012, he went back with, uh, with St. Louis. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see that too. All right. So, Rick Majerus, Tony Bennett, I get that. All right. I mean, not to say he's not, you know, did some, didn't do some great things. I don't want to, don't want to say it like that. He definitely, definitely deserves some kudos. And Mike Montgomery, real quick, I wanted to hit on because he was at Stanford from '86 to 2004, and in his coaching career, he's got 16 tournament appearances. But at Stanford, he went in '89, '92, '95, '6, '7, '8, Pretty much from uh, 92 to his last year, took Stanford. Then he comes back to Cal from 2008 to 2014, Ahmad, and goes to the tournament in 09, 2010, 2012, 2013. And you look at it, and it's, it's one of those things where 16 tournament appearances, three sweet 16s, one final four. He did win an NIT championship, seven appearances in the NIT five Pac-12 regular season titles, one Pac-12 tournament championship. But he was always, always, and it was tough for me to put him at four in a way because he was always one of the few, him and Lute Olsen and Steve Lavitt, of course, the three teams that never were going to have a problem qualifying for the tournament back then, Ahmad, that were very opposed to starting a Pac-12 tournament again because they had it for a while and then it was gone. And then they brought it back, the conference did, but yeah, Mike Montgomery, Lute Olson, and I know Steve Lavin were all against. But again, you can't take away from what Mike Montgomery did. I say that in jest because he had a phenomenal career. He's had a phenomenal career. Not at all. I uh, speaking to some of those guys, Lute Olson. I remember playing a few games in front of him as he was recruiting. Um, just you know, I'm hoping for that for that uh, that phone call um, before Sean Miller and those guys took over the job. I was really young, but still hoping, you know, that was one, one spot I would like to go to. Um, but also Mike Montgomery, uh, came into the mix later into my, uh, college recruitment. Uh, I don't know if I touched on this before, but it was a Jerome Randall, who's like a big brother to me. Um, after a killer AAU season going into my senior season, my senior year, I boosted my ranking up to about 28 in the country. And, so got pretty high up there. So now I'm getting calls from – I'm still verbally committed to Oregon State, but every game after Vegas I'm getting – Kevin O'Neill is at every game now who was at USC. And I'm also getting Mike Montgomery or his assistant at every game. And so uh, Jerome's pushing, you know, to talk, talk to coach, talk to coach. Like you can come in after me and be – and be, be the next him, nonetheless, a very small guard who was dominant. And uh, Jerome ended up winning Pac-10 Player of the Year that next year um, and wanted me to follow his footsteps. And Mike Montgomery was kind of like, I want to leave it up. To, he really wanted me, so to speak. Like, but he, did, he was careful about crossing those guidelines. Uh, you know, he needs to be respectful. He didn't want to break any rules while I was verbally committed. But he did encourage me to kind of just take a visit and come visit Jerome, but I never did that. Uh, part of me wish I did, but 
I did like the idea of playing for Mike Montgomery up in Cal. Like it, it did entice me, you know. Uh, so I was, hmm, maybe it would have been interesting to have him as my coach. Yeah, he's. I know he sent some guys to the NBA as fall too. It's uh, but yeah, no, you did mention that, and at least again, like you said, he wanted it to, like you said before, we talked about recruiting. He wanted it to be up to you. Um, Ned Walk, though, the reason why, and I say this about um, for ASU because when he was there from '57 to 1982 and he had nine tournament appearances all at the ASU but I mean it was a year after he got there he went in 58 and then 61 62 63 64 a little bit of a lull and then 73 75 80 and 81 and those teams the 80 81 teams uh, I know had Byron Scott had Alton Lister some names you might remember you're a Lakers guy so I know you know Byron Scott yeah of course no, but uh, but Ned Wolk, again, I mean, he came into ASU when it was an absolute dumpster fire. He was also at uh, Xavier from uh, 50, well, actually from 48 to 57. From 48 to 51, Ahmad, he was an assistant, then 51 to 57, the head coach. And then he headed out west like Sean Miller. But in my opinion, of course, he went to the better school. <laughs> no, but, uh, but I mean, I look at a coach that can do that and – but we even touched him on it when, even when Lute Olson came into Arizona, I mean, they were, they weren't as down as ASU, but I mean, it was a school that people were pretty surprised that they took Lute Olson away from Iowa. I remember, I, I didn't remember that obviously when it happened, but when, as I got older, even at ASU, I actually got to sit down with Lute Olson. Um, Cause he didn't get many interviews either, but I had to do something for my broadcasting class. So I had to drive down to Tucson and talk to him side note, but um you know, I, I just remember doing a little research and even looking at some older articles saying that they were kind of surprised. I mean, more so the Midwest, the Iowa media that, oh, you're going to go to Tucson. Like, I mean, you're in Des Moines and you're really, you're talking trash about Tucson. I mean, come on. No. But anyway, but that being said, no, I mean, they were a little surprised they got him out of Iowa, figuring that he might stay another year or two and maybe land in, you know, a bigger Big Ten job, whether, you know, you look at, in, well, obviously not Indiana because Bobby Knight was there, but like, you know, or maybe like a big 12 job, maybe something, you know, something like that opens up in that part of the country. But no, Lute Olsen came out West and knew he could win. And like I said, started recruiting guys and had kind of had a, obviously a, uh, brought some coaches, but had a bank of, like you said, players that he'd already been recruiting. So it's like, why don't you come out West, get out of the snow in the winter. I mean, it's always easy to sell that. Right. So, but yeah, no, Lute Olsen, um, I remember just like that being a shock, but yeah, no, Ned Walk, I mean, coming from Xavier doing the same thing and turning it around is just, uh, again, absolutely to me, um, like very solid. And then Ernie Kent, like what he did at Oregon, because it's tough to be a football school and then on the men's side and then a basketball school. Um, but I mean, he was there from 97 to 2010 and he went to the tournament six times, 97, uh, 2000, 02, 03, 07, 08, two Sweet 16 appearances. I thought that 07 team, in my opinion, Mon, I remember a little bit about it. I thought that 07 team, I picked them to win it. I remember filling out my bracket because they just had – the way he had them playing, I mean, again, they just seemed that they could adapt to, to anything. But they did make it to the uh, – they did make it to the Sweet 16 and overall at Oregon, again, 253 and one, uh, 235, pardon me, and 173. But I mean, you look at him, he coached at Washington State, well, from 14 to 19, he was at Washington State, but he was an assistant at Stanford. Um, 
but yeah, it's just what he was able to do at Oregon. And I was, I was a little, I mean, I know, I mean, they went in 08 and then 2009 and then 2010, a little bit down, but I was really surprised they let him go. Now what Dana Altman has done, he could have made this list too, because he's a very good recruiter. I think he's a very good in-game adjuster, but what Ernie Cal Ernie Kemp built it up. I think Dana Altman kind of got to carry that out, even though those two seasons were down, but Oregon, again, outside of football was back on the map basketball wise. Who was on that 07 team you were mentioning? He had Aaron Brooks. Oh, he had Aaron Brooks on that team? Yeah, so the, the, it was Aaron Brooks, uh, Bryce Taylor, Tawan Porter, who you've mentioned. He was a freshman at that time out of Detroit. Uh, Marte Lunin, Malik uh, Harrison. I liked him. Uh, he was out of uh, Detroit. Uh, Chamberlain Aguchi, uh, Jovan Catron. Jovan Catron. Oh, he's like a – he's a Chicago guy. Yeah, he's like a suburban guy. Yeah, Phoenix, Phoenix, Illinois, not Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> he wasn't bad. I remember him. Okay. Yeah, he was a freshman that year. And then Adam Zahn, uh, he was a senior, a 6'8 guy. Then they had the seven-footer, Ray Schaefer. Um, and then they, uh, the Mitch Platt was a 6'10", but they weren't that big of a team. I mean, and then Adrian Shield. But, yeah, Aaron Brooks, who went to the NBA, and so did Malik uh, Harrison. So, I mean, I remember – I just, like I said, I loved Aaron Brooks, the way he played. Um, but just watching that team in 07, I, I always thought that was his maybe best chance with Aaron Brooks. Again, guard play. Yeah, he got some big guys down low. But with, uh, with Aaron Brooks leading them, uh, he was, he was, uh, it was awesome to come watch. I remember watching him come through Tempe. I love watching him play. So, yeah, like I said, Ernie Kemp built it up, got the recruiting back to what it was, and then – Tad Boyle again, not Tad Boyle, sorry. It would have put um, Dana Altman. But, yeah, 7-7A seven and seven A would have been Ernie Kent and Dana Altman. But, I mean, Ernie Kent definitely built it back up from what – because, I mean, Oregon – again, it was never – like you said, it was never – they were never terribly bad. But it, once football started coming back up, it was like, you know, like in the SEC, basketball is an afterthought. No, no, that makes, makes a bunch of sense. Um, I also threw in Romar in there. Um, I liked Romar a lot at the time. Uh, like those teams, he always made it tough. He, he always made it tough. Tough game plan, tough adjustments. Um, some of my best, like we talked about the arenas we'll touch on. That was one of my favorites. Um, and some of the players that he recruited, like he believed in guards, especially he was big on guard play, big on guard play. And so from Isaiah Thomas, I believe he had Nate Robinson at some point, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, he had Nate Robinson because he was there from he was there from 2002 to uh, 2017. He took him to the tournament 04, 05, 06, 2009, 2010, and 2011. Three Sweet 16 appearances in 05, 06, and 10. A bunch of good ones. So that's like a bunch of good teams. Did he recruit you at all? No. No, I didn't get any. I didn't get anything from Romar. Probably because he had Isaiah Thomas. Because you played against Isaiah Thomas, didn't you? Exactly. I played against Isaiah my freshman year, um, and it was great experience. So my first time in the dog pound, man, it was, it was, it was rough. Like I, I mean, rough like in a good way. Like it was, they were aggressive. We we actually they probably got us pretty good, especially we weren't that good early on. But I was excited for the challenge. I was up for the challenge against those good guards. 
Also, oh, wait, was Thomas a junior or a senior your freshman year? He would have been a junior, and he left after junior. Oh, so I'm surprised he didn't recruit you. He should have came after you. Man, he should have. But he didn't know if Isaiah was going to leave or not. Um, so he had a lot of great guards come out of there. Romar did a great job over there. All right, so your only real disagreement, and again, I can see it because I definitely could have put – oh, but my honorable mention, I do have to tell everybody because we do have the honorable, the honorable mention goes uh, to Oregon State not just because of you, but uh, Ralph Miller, who did a very – again, at Oregon State, he was, uh, he was 342 and 198. Um, and he was there from 70 to 89. So definitely saw it from the uh, Pac-8 into the Pac-10 days. Seven tournament appearances, 64, 70, 75, 84, 85, 88, and 89. Three Sweet 16, 64, 17, 75, never went to a Final Four, six NIT appearances. Um, but it was a Pac-12 regular season champ in 80, 81, 82, and 84. Um, coached in the Big Ten, he won two regular season championships there in 68 and 70. And then uh, Missouri Valley uh, when he coached at Wichita State. But, I mean, you look at him at Wichita State, Ahmad, and that's why I put him as an honorable mention because I think someone with these coaches – have accomplished. And again, easily I'm with you. I probably could have switched him and Tony Bennett, but at Wichita state, he was 220 and 133 in Iowa. He was 95 and 51. They said at Oregon state 342 and 198, he was 657 and 382 overall with an 832 winning percentage, which is a little bit higher. No, for John, John Wooden had, well, he had an, an 808 winning percentage at UCLA and 804 overall. So Yes, but John Wooden also was, uh, again, 664 and 162. The man I don't think ever had a losing season, Ahmad, to John Wooden. But that's a side note. But Ralph Miller, again, right there, too, um, lived a very long life. He was born in 1919, so just just before the start of the Great Depression, Ahmad, and he lived till uh, 2001. But, yeah, he definitely could have – He's definitely the honorable mention there. Um, but again, if I were to switch, maybe looking back at while I researched, maybe swap him and Tony Bennett, but I'm pretty happy with my list, I guess. But I mean, to me, number one was very, very easy. I had that <laughs> before I even started. Very easy. Um, I think I'm, I'm going to chime in on some of my lists and it's hard to kind of number them. Um, but I will throw towards the bottom of there and I, I may not get all may not get to 12 but towards the bottom I'm gonna throw in Ralph Miller of course um some Oregon State love as well as Slats Gill earlier before um before Ralph Miller Slats Gill had a craze for was Oregon State head coach for a while and he had a phenomenal coaching career so it's, that's why it's called Gill Coliseum um where where we played also Ralph Miller court so Speaks to there how well they did, um, getting the, getting the names name getting the building's name after them, the building and the court. I'll also throw I'm gonna throw Ernie Ken in there, next up, um, for what he did at Oregon as well as I know he did some. He had I don't know I don't think he did too well in Washington State, but uh, he stuck around. You know he got the hire, and so that's kudos to what he did prior to. Um, Tad Boyle, great job at Colorado. Um, tough time playing against it for sure. I give a little bit of credit, honestly, to Ben Howland a little bit. I'm going to throw Ben Howland in there a little bit. Um, maybe he's, he's towards the bottom of that list, but I'm going to throw him in there. 
he had some good teams uh, throughout that, great recruitment. They were stacked. They just couldn't necessarily put it all together. Um, but they had some very good teams talent-wise. Um, I'm also – Dana Allman probably next in there. Dana and Lorenzo Romar right in there for me, almost almost neck and neck from where they go. And then the, the last, I would say my top five is probably – we'll go Dana Allman, Mike Montgomery. Sean Miller is a favorite of mine. Take me out of it. Lou Olson, number two. And everybody knows who number one is in John Wooden. So it's a, that's an automatic. It's a given. So he, he'll be up there. It's like Michael Jordan. It'll be there, you know, forever. And uh, so it's, it's an incredible, incredible position to hold. But I like, sorry, I'm, I apologize once again. You know, those Arizona. Also, Mike Montgomery, I got to remember what he, more so for what he did at Stanford, um, for which I'm, I learned more about later on. But I also have him up there as the Cal. He made the tournament a few times, a few good teams, a lot of players I remember. Um, um, I like the Sean – sorry about that. Like I was saying, Sean Miller and Lute Olsen, they're getting it done over there. I don't, I don't know if ASU going to turn the tide or what, but they, they were getting it done over there. We'll see what – ASU has some good players coming in. Um, they have some now and getting some good players in, so maybe they can turn the favorite around a little bit. But that's probably – that's my list right there, some of my tops. The thing interesting about John Wooden, Ahmad, that I see, I mean, you got you to gotta look at it this way. John Wooden started coaching from 1946, right, to 1948. He was at Indiana State. He started coaching at UCLA, so the 1948-49 season, and coached till the 74-75 season. I mean, you're going from, you know, to reference, please tell me you've seen Hoosiers. Yes, I've seen it. has been a while, but I've seen Hoosiers. That movie rocks. But anyway, sports movies always rock. But when, when people don't have – and I will say, obviously, since times evolve in sports movies, but if you see Hoosiers and it's not in your top ten, that's a side note. We can get to basketball movies in another episode. But John Wooden starts coaching in 48, right? He finishes in 75. Well, he started at, like I said, UCLA. So he starts coaching in 46. So, pretty, you know, the end of World War II – <laughs> to put it in context for everybody. But my point to you is how the game evolved and changed. Like we touched on in the last episode um, with how, uh, you know, obviously with Kareem and they changed the rules because of Kareem, you know, you couldn't dunk. But how the game changed, how guys started becoming more athletic. You weren't just running, you know, the good old throw the ball, don't set any screens. I mean, I know, you know, Bobby Knight is what the, I guess the, the father of like the motion offense that was kind of his his thing but I mean John Wooden had it again he wanted a certain type of player and I know uh, Bill Walton had said it many a times how you know when he was recruiting he said you know and again it was different because like we've said before freshmen couldn't play so he would say if you earn a practice jersey then you have a chance to earn a game that's how John Wooden recruited he knew that he had good players but you were going to compete and earn it but my point is, too, to how the time changed. Like, the time changed, how the game changed. Not that it changed, but, again, offense has changed. And he had to adapt to, again, getting – all coaches had to adapt. But, I mean, not like it's a bad thing. More athletic players. Players that just weren't, you know, oh, let's pass it three times and then take a guy off the dribble and then maybe somebody sets a screen and put a shot up. So the fact that he starts right after World War II and goes into the mid-'70s, winning championships and yeah, he got great players, but 
None of them ever said, like, and Kareem talked about, like said, Bill Walton said, if you showed up and thought you were somebody, you were going to get a, you were going to get a lesson in reality really quick because you could be the number one recruit and freshman, you know, in his beginning when he was there, obviously couldn't play. And even, um, I think that was the mid seventies. Cause another sports movie, we are Marshall with Matthew McConaughey when they had the unfortunate plane crash, they had a petition at NCAA to get freshmen to play. Um, and of course, then that changed with in time. But I mean, still, even then, back then, like, you know, freshmen couldn't play. So you had three years um, to literally obviously make a, you know, make your mark. But at UCLA, I mean, I mean, we mentioned, again, the guys he had coming through and it's just, it's ridiculous. But to have your ways, but understand, and he mentioned this in some of his books, adapting to, again, the game, but they still need to understand how to play. They're not just going to roll the ball out and say, oh, you're talented, go score. So I, to me, that's the other thing too. I mean, yeah, somebody like, you know, a Lute Olson, like you said, a Mike Montgomery, a Tara Vonderveer, again, who started, you know, at, at Stanford back in the, uh, in the mid eighties. And again, how women's basketball has just been, has, because again, to me, it was always coaching not at the college level, but, at the, at the youth level, a model like you do for women's basketball is one of those things where, oh, they get a rebound and some, the fast girl will take off and be like a baseball pass and yet the ball will go flying off the court. And people say, oh, you're being, you know, that, that's pretty, you know, you're saying girls can't play. No, I'm not saying they can't play. I'm just saying like, it's like people coaching it at the lower levels are like, oh, they're just out here to run around. Like, but once you start a coaching and I mean, again, you get somebody like a Tara Vonderveer and again, we're going Pac-12, obviously a Pat Summit who changed <laughs> – obviously what a lot of people thought about women's bat. I mean, even Gino Ariama too, I know he's a man, but you look at what she's done at Stanford. Like I said, all her coaching tree, 21, 14 were players. Three of them were players and assistant coaches under her. Um, she had a strength and conditioning coach become a head coach and her sister, who was the video coordinator for Stanford for a while, Ahmad, became a head coach too. So like I, you look at how the games evolved for all these coaches and like we're saying like Lute Olson and somebody even like a Ned Walk into like, you know, when he was at ASU, but it's, it's just insane how the good coach. Yeah. They know they need to get great players, but, and you know, this from obviously knows better than I do, but you always hear coaches say getting great players, but you have to be coachable. I mean, that's the one thing if you can be coachable, but they also have to be able to listen to Mike Krzyzewski said a lot of times, a lot of the things you do, you learn from listening to your play. You can be out there and they have to be able to run the offense, but you also have to trust them and what they're seeing. I'm paraphrasing what Mike Krzyzewski said, but it's one of those things where, as you know, as a guard, it's a constant conversation with the coach, but I mean, the game, again, the athleticism, the everything to it. So how John wouldn't adapt it to, that's another, I mean, people can say, Oh, you're just saying because of the championships. No, you, you start, you know, even his first championship in 64 at UCLA and then to the last one at 75, he, he totally probably coached a little bit different. Yeah, he had his, obviously he had everything in there, but he, he probably totally coached different. No, you have, you have to, and the game evolves. So you got to adjust to different, different players' tendencies. You know, I, I'm sure he had his system as many coaches do and the way he does things, but, to be a great coach, you either – you have to adapt to your players. So either you recruit the same type of guys over and over so you can fit to what you're doing. But in that era, in that, I mean, in that time frame, the game evolved. 
So you have to adjust some things, you know, to what you're doing in order to make it work for you guys. So that's just, of course you did it. No doubt about it. You know what? I just thought of something funny. We didn't really prep for this. If I had to have select four coaches, actually, you know what? I'll take John Wooden out because we would both select him. So we'll be, we'll be, we'll have a, a coaching staff of five. Who would be your other four with John Wooden? Who would be John Wooden's other four assistants from our list? If you had to pick them, what would you go with? I'm going with, well, Mike Montgomery. I've seen him let players do their thing. I'm going with Romar. And I'm probably going with Sean Miller, Ludos. <laughs> so you got Wooden and then you got Mike Montgomery, Lorenzo Romar. Oh, okay. So three. And then, okay. So Miller and Olsen. Yeah. All right. So you go with Wooden, Montgomery, Romar, Miller, and Olsen. Well, okay. I'm going to go Wooden, definitely Montgomery. I agree with you on that. And then I'm going to take Ernie Kent. And then, oh, I'm, I'm definitely taking Tara Vonderveer. And then, yeah, I got to go with Lute Olsen. God, it, it's painful. It's painful. It's all right. Just conform. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never do that. But I, I will conform to being a great coach. Conform. It's all right. I got you. I mean, we can't go wrong either way. No, very true. Very true. I think we had two good lists there. And that's, uh, it's tough. I wish we could actually make that happen. But uh, we all know we can't. So it's just, but it's definitely good to think about. I could not imagine being a coach and seeing, like I said, either your, your, your five come out with one leading them, my five come out with one. I couldn't imagine being an opposing coach and thinking like, what am I going to say? So my team doesn't think I'm lying to them. It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, that's going to do it for Ahmad and I. We hope you enjoyed our uh, 12, our coaches list. And again, there is no really wrong answer. Of course, unless you disagree with Ahmad and I, then there might be a wrong answer uh, of coaches. But that being said, again, a 12 list. If you want to hit us up, you can hit us up on Twitter. You can hit Ahmad up at ASTARKS3. You have any suggestions, any thoughts, debate with us, talk with us, get involved. Uh, I'm at Diablos00, again, for my Sun Devils, which Ahmad always likes to remind me is first pack 10 game he beat asu so but his second game he beat arizona so he made up for it but yeah at diablo zero zero is my twitter at a starks three is a mod you can hit us up on twitter again subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts itunes google play spotify stitcher luminary uh tune in wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe to our podcast and enjoy it learn about the conference of champions like a mod and i say and we will have a ton of information, obviously, as the season gets closer. Hopefully, again, everything going better with the virus. We have one, but uh, we'll have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, information. And Ahmad kind of teased it. We might have information about the arenas, right, Ahmad? Oh, yeah. We may, we may, may touch base on that soon. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk about it. Well, we will because there are a lot of great arenas across the country, some older, some not. But uh, – at the same time, it's a phenomenal conference to travel around and play in. So we're going to get out of here. You guys enjoy the rest of your week. And again, don't forget, subscribe to the Believe in Pac-12 Basketball Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.